and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So I wanted to take the time in this podcast to talk about my book. So first, let me wish you all a blessed Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak, and um, I pray that you get everything out of Ramadan that you want and you need and that this month is a means for you to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we can renew our intention. You know, there's there's always the joke about the quote-unquote Ramadan Muslim or the Jum'ah Muslim um, that someone who's only religious during Ramadan or only religious on Fridays. And though that's not our goal, of course, we still do have to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for any excuse to be more righteous. So if for some reason we don't feel able to read the Quran in other months, we don't feel able to dress modestly in other months, we don't find it as easy to be kind in other months, then Ramadan is an opportunity for us to act on those good deeds, those good intentions, and inshallah ta'ala, Allah will facilitate us to have that same attitude throughout the year. So it's an opportunity. It's a, a door that's opening for us. And inshallah ta'ala, we will walk through it. I also want to remind myself and you to make sure that we don't make this month about food. Unfortunately, in a lot of Muslim countries and just some Muslim families and cultures, then this month of fasting actually becomes a month about food. It's when we have all our sweets and we have all our big gatherings with lots of food and we can't wait for what we're going to eat for iftar and what we're going to eat for, um, subhanAllah, eat for suhoor. And Allahu Alam, you know, there's some, there is good in that. Um, but I think I want to remind myself and and all of us that that's not what this month is about. This month is primarily about worship. Now, of course, if you're a new Muslim or you have new Muslims around or you have children around, then you do want to focus on maybe the more fun aspects of Ramadan. Um, I was even thinking for myself because there was a woman who she created these uh, quote-unquote Ramadan trees um, and what they are is like they're Christmas trees but she takes it and she wraps it into the form of a crescent and she calls it Ramadan trees and while I don't agree with that in particular I think it's just a little too close to imitating non-Muslims imitating Christmas I do think that and something she said in the article I do think we should try to make Ramadan as exciting as possible for children. So I know that my sisters will have created, um, at least in the past, and inshallah they continue to do it, Ramadan games for their children and, and making nice food for their children and all of that. But I think that, and that's also important, the gatherings and, and all of those things, but I think for us as adults, especially those of us who don't have the responsibility of children yet, that this should this time should primarily be about worship and not about food. Um, 
that, you know, Allah Alamas. And the only other thing I'd say that's good about that I can say is is something good about when people do focus on food is when you're focusing on food in the name of service. So you're making big iftars and you're inviting people and you're having gatherings that remind people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then of course that's a blessing. And those people that do that should be rewarded. Um, but for most of us, I, I do believe the, this is the time that we should want to focus on worship for myself. I mean, in general, I'm not um, the person that's sort of out and about all over the place. But um, particularly in Ramadan, some people see it as a time to you know go to different Ramadan events. And for me, I'm not interested. For me, this is a time to turn even more inward and focus on my worship, refining my worship, increasing my worship, trying to focus as much as possible solely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything that directly reminds me of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is related and try to take out anything frivolous out of my life, whether that's watching the news or watching um, a comedy or going out when it's not necessary or whatever else just to try and um, focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For me, and inshallah ta'ala, you know, may, may Allah make this my reality, that I would like for Ramadan to be almost like an intensive for me. You know, when you go on those, if you've ever been blessed to have the opportunity to go on those week-long intensive or month-long intensives where you're just every day, a few hours a day, you're studying, you're learning, you're like... Your life almost 24-7 becomes about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and studying the deen. And I'd really like to make my Ramadan that way, that to make it an intensive for myself. And sometimes I think it's so unfortunate that sometimes as Muslims, um, of course, including myself, especially pointing to myself, sometimes we just don't realize how little Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking from us and it's so sad it's so unfortunate that we see it as this huge thing this huge sacrifice the five salah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do that only takes at most 50 minutes a day the um vicar that we that we should engage in that could take 10 to 20 minutes in our morning and evening the Quran that we can be reading in reality every if we read the the entire Quran every single month it wouldn't be too much to ask because the Quran um it'll take and I'm sure it varies for everyone but I would safely estimate that it takes about 20 hours to finish the Quran and that's in English if you of course have uh, memorized the Quran or can read Arabic really well, it probably takes even less than that. So that's every day for one hour. You could finish the Quran in 20 days. And if you give it, I guess maybe, I'm not quite doing the math, but just to estimate, maybe if you gave it 40 minutes a day, then that's a completion every single month. So that's just to say that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts so little from us and so we only ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us to fulfill the little that he asks of us and that during Ramadan we make an effort to increase in whatever we were doing 
and that it doesn't matter where you are in your faith and your practice there's always somewhere that you can increase and also it doesn't have to be directly um quote-unquote directly worship because so much of our lives can be worship um it can be cleaning tonight i'm recording this um the day before ramadan i want to really clean up before ramadan and just make make uh my space especially clean um and like i said before if you wanted to engage in cooking and service for other people or if you're going to work on your character like there's so there's so many ways in which we can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we just have to choose one or a couple that we want to try to increase during during this time um so again just want to wish you a blessed ramadan and that was just some reminders to myself and and hopefully a reminder to um all of you and uh probably by the time you're going to listen to this it will already be ramadan so i hope you're off to a good start and if not i hope this gives you um the reminder that you need so that you can get back on track inshallah or begin again or or um start from a bad beginning inshallah ta'ala so i wanted to talk a bit about uh, my book for the hadith of aisha radiallahu anha and just give some reflections on it so firstly i want to say to those of you who have bought the book especially those who pre-ordered i'm really grateful for your support and i i know that you will inshallah ta'ala enjoy the book and benefit from it sometimes it even feels weird to say um thank you for your support because i don't want people to buy the book to support me i mean if you do alhamdulillah that's a very kind thing but i want you to buy the book because you believe you'll benefit from it you know i wrote the book because i thought it was important not so that you know people can support me in particular but so but because i felt like it was something important to write on so for those of you who don't know 40 hadith of aisha anha this is a book that compiles 40 hadith in english it's a completely english book 40 hadith 40 sayings from the prophet وسلم, that were narrated by his wife Aisha radiallahu anha and the book also includes a short biography of Aisha's life and of course the preface which lets you know a little bit about why I wrote the book um so the hadith themselves I really try to have hadith that covered a number of different issues so there are hadith that talk about menstruation. There are hadith that talk about um, charity. There are hadith that talk about the Prophet's life, sallallahu So I really wanted to get a good variety of hadith so that it would give you some level of chronology. Because, of course, obviously it's not a serial book. But I still wanted to have the hadith in a way that you felt like you were traveling on this journey at least a bit or, or at least peeking into it especially because there all of the hadith are narrated by Aisha so it's kind of like looking from her view 
at the Prophet's life, وسلم, seeing what she saw. And I just feel like that's a beautiful way to feel a nearness to the Prophet وسلم, just getting to focus on one person's view of him, especially a wife. And it kind of makes you feel... Um, it makes him feel even more real um, because just imagine, you know, like your grandmother telling you stories of your grandfather, like that'll probably put you more in the position of imagining yourself there than hearing various stories from different people about your grandfather. Um, so I just feel like it, it gives you that feeling. And then also you get to see how close their relationship was um, and it's funny because in some ways you think, well, of course they would be close, they're married, but we know that not all relationships are the same and not all of the prophets of the Wasallam's relationships were the same. And Aisha anha, was the closest to him. And it's so interesting because obviously she was naturally intelligent, naturally had a good memory. Um, but... I think we can say that there would be no scholarship if it weren't for her closeness to the Prophet at least not at the level it was, that it was her relationship aided in her scholarship. And that's not to say she wouldn't have been a scholar if she wasn't married to the Prophet she probably would have been, but not to the level that she was. And that was another beautiful thing that I realized kind of after I wrote the book and reading it over is that for us as modern women, um, I know there are men and women listening, inshallah, but um, particularly for women, there's often this issue we have to think of a relationship versus career or relationship versus personal goals. And here we see that Aisha's life, the both were wrapped up in each other, that her scholarship was because of her relationship and like her scholarship and her relationship aided each other they weren't two separate things you know it wasn't like it was and even this is beautiful as well it's not as if they were compartmentalized it's not as if it's like prophet muhammad sallam, he may have done this formally sometimes but a lot of the times in general, we see her observing, her listening, her paying attention, her asking questions. It's not as if, okay, one hour a day, I'm going to teach you fiqh, or I'm going to teach you to sew over, I'm going to teach you Akita. It's like she's constantly learning. Her life is constantly learning. And that's also part of her character is being inquisitive and asking questions and caring about the knowledge and wanting to learn that um, also aided in her scholarship, her natural abilities. And so it's something for us to take into consideration as well. Now, maybe it's not as, maybe, Allah Allah, maybe it's not as possible in our times, but I think it's just beautiful to see the way in which those two things can come together. Um, that, that sort of the learning process or the process to scholarship that obviously was not her goal um, necessarily, but that she was just being smart and intelligent and asking questions and being inquisitive and wanting to be the best believer that she could and constantly learning. And that's what made her a scholar, including 
the loving, beautiful, close relationship that she had with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that that is really beautiful for me to realize and, and sort of witness and acknowledge. And I just want to say if you if you are interested of course if you're interested in, in buying the book you can buy it at Barnes and Nobles, Amazon or Indiebound. Uh, I think it's indiebound.org and then of course barnesandnobles.com and amazon.com. But we are trying to get the book into smaller independent bookstores as well. So if you're interested in seeing the book in your local bookstore for just general independent bookstores, then, um, you know, you can you can request it from them. And because the book is available through Ingram, which most most stores get their books from, then they'll know where to get it. So if you wanted to see it at your local bookstore, inshallah ta'ala, you can request that they that they have it there, especially if they don't have a lot of Islamic books in their store or also if they don't have any Islamic books about women. What I also realize when I go into bookstores, well, in particular Barnes & Nobles, is that's the bookstore that I probably go to the most, is that their Islamic section, first first off, there is no Islamic section. The Islamic section is within the Eastern religion section. And then half of the books, it, it almost seems like half of the books will be about people who left their religion. So, and then maybe a quarter will be Qur'ans and then the other quarter will be some new books that, that Muslim authors have written. But it is really a shame. It's really a distortion of Islam. It's a belittling of Islam. Firstly, to put it into Eastern religions. And then secondly, for almost half of the books to deal with people who left their religion. So please, if you want to see this book in your local bookstore, even your physical Barnes and Nobles, um, your, you know, your local physical Barnes and Nobles, then please request it, inshallah ta'ala. And um, hopefully they will get the book um, in their store. And then if there are Islamic books in your neighborhood, then you can also request it. You can also request the book there as well. And you can direct them to my site, 40 Hadith of Aisha, to the book website, 40 Hadith of Aisha, where they can contact me there about getting the book, or you can give them directly the email, uh, which is info at 40adithofaisha.com. Inshallah ta'ala, if you want to see it in your local bookstore. And, you know, obviously these days, a lot of people do get their books online. I, I think I sort of half and half get my books online and, and at um, bookstores. But I still feel like there's something really valuable to having books in bookstores, because I know for me, when I'm going on Amazon to get a book, I'm usually going to get a specific book that I like, I already know what I'm getting. Whereas when I go in a bookstore, I'm usually just looking around and I'm seeing what's available and what's of interest. So this book can pique someone's interest who is just interested in Islam and they get, they have the opportunity to be exposed to a female scholar in Islam, we all know that um, women in Islam, unfortunately, have been represented as this oppressed group. 
and Aisha radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet وسلم, was not that. She was almost the opposite of that. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like she's such an important figure for our times especially. I would say her, Um Salama and Khadija, uh, may Allah be pleased with all of them, are probably, I mean, they all, all of the righteous women of the past have aspects that are still valuable for us today, of course. But I think there are certain personalities that we favor more in our time in our society and that um, would appeal more to to our particular culture. And we should share with people that these women existed, that someone like Aisha existed, that was a righteous scholar that men and women would learn from, that someone like Khadija existed, that was someone who was wealthy, um, we could say in part on her own because she did, a lot of her wealth was inherited from her husband's, but she used that money to have a business, someone who, you know, had it all as a lot of women are striving for today, the the children and the husband and the um, business. And then someone like Um Salama, who was a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess almost like a sort of brave and kind of independent spirit. Hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, I'll get into, well, actually, I have, I have a, um, there was a series of lessons I was doing on ladies of the path, and I did one on Um Salama, so inshallah, I'll link it below. But her story is so incredible, and she was also someone who was married, who had children before she married the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so there, there are so many women of the past who are beautiful examples for us today and also women that just culturally people would find um, of particular intrigue. And we have to share those stories because the version that so many people have of Islam and especially women in Islam is so incredibly distorted. And so we have to revive it. And I, I think the mistake sometimes that we make as Muslim women is that we want to revive it by being more like non-Muslims or even by playing into, um, not playing into their stereotypes, but we want to defend ourselves against their stereotypes. But in doing so, we kind of just assimilate. So it's almost as if they win either way. Um, So I think it's important that we say, you know, no, we're not oppressed, but we're not going to take on um, your standards of what it means to be powerful or to be strong or to be, um, you know, whatever, a modern woman or whatever the opposite, or I guess a free woman. We don't have to, you know, like have, uh, you know, wear lots of makeup or skateboard or whatever to show that we are free, but at the same time, we're certainly not oppressed. And here are the examples of women that we can show you who were free in their own way, who exemplified some of the values that we hold dearly, while still being righteous, religious women. So I, I just feel like it's really important for us to sometimes go back to those examples instead of trying to revive um sort of traditional islam trying to 
give it a new face but actually go back into it because they're not right about what they say concerning Muslim women. Yes, in certain countries, women are oppressed, of course, unfortunately, but Muslim women overall or women or the way in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, talks about or treats women or uplifts certain women is not about oppressing women. And here are examples from over 1400 years ago of women, again, who exemplified values that we still hold dear today. So um, I really want that when people read the book, inshallah ta'ala, they they get a lot out of it. So one, I want them to fall in love with the person of Aisha and the person of the Prophet wasallam, and to really feel themselves in their presence as real people, as they were real people. But of course, we're 1,400 plus years removed from them. So we have to remind ourselves of their stories and how great they were, how wonderful they were, how beautiful they were, but also that they were human beings and they had human personalities. And that is really what makes them most interesting. Um, Besides the fact, of course, that they were these amazing people whose example we want to follow. They were also people who had real lives and real feelings and real emotions and real trials and tribulations that they went through. Um, I also feel like, inshallah, the hadith that I chose are hadith that people can reflect on. I really wanted to, to have hadith in the book that weren't that one weren't overcomplicated hadith that were as simple as possible and by overcomplicated I mean that there are some hadith where you need a scholar to to tell you what it means or how to implement it but I really wanted to have hadith that again gave that range but also hadith that gave people something to reflect on some of the hadith, um, you you may want to go to a teacher and ask them, you know, can you explain more about this this hadith for me? But I think most of them are hadith that you can reflect on on your own and learn from and and try to figure out how it applies to your own life. Also, we use all of the hadith that we used. Um, well, most are from. I believe most are Sahih Bukhari. And then there are a couple from Imam Dawood. There are a couple from Riyadh Salihin. And I think just one from Ibn Asakir. So these are all pretty popular books that have commentaries that are readily av- available. So if there are some hadith that you feel like, oh, I don't really understand what this means, then there are a lot of readily available explanations that that you can um, get your hands on to better understand inshallah ta'ala so I didn't want to make this too long of course there's a lot more I can say and I'm sure I will revisit the book in future podcasts but I just wanted to let you guys know some of the reasons why I chose to write this book inshallah ta'ala if you would like to order the book again you can order it on Amazon Barnes and Nobles or IndieBound and please, inshallah ta'ala, if you like the book, then request that your local bookstore have it on their shelves so that 
someone walking by, someone interested in Islam instead of seeing, you know, or I guess on top, unfortunately, of seeing all these books about people who left Islam can also see this book, inshallah ta'ala, that will inspire them to learn more about Islam, learn what, more, learn more, excuse me, learn more about women in Islam and learn more about the Prophet wasallam. The last thing I'll say, um, I don't think I mentioned this because this is actually my second time recording this, um, this podcast because the first time it got messed up. So I don't think I mentioned this. I just wanted to um, mention that there was a while back, I guess it was a few few weeks ago, that there was a woman who wrote some essay about not loving, not having to love the Prophet ﷺ, something like that. And of course, a lot of people were rightfully upset. And I was on a panel of women scholars and teachers, and we were asked about this, uh, about this article. And one of the women said something that I found so beautiful and so profound and so important that she said, um, they don't know the prophet like we know him. And I think that's so important to remember that the people who have something negative to say about the prophet usually don't know him or have a skewed version of his life. But when you read the Sarah, especially when you read different Sarah books because some Sarah books focus a lot on war and some Sarah books um well I think those are really the only ones that I don't particularly care for just because probably like most women I'm not interested in the details of war um but I think so I do think there's value in reading a couple of Sarah books especially the shorter ones which tend to be an overall view of his life but I think that uh, also the like Shema'il that, that describes the Prophet but I think that she was so right and I thought what she said was so beautiful and important because when you know the Prophet when you read his life when you read a variety of hadith um, and you get a feel for who he was as a person I think it's difficult to not love him I think loving him is natural because he was a man of mercy he was a man who was good to his family he was a man who was good to nature the environment animals he was a good person and I think that even a non-muslim could recognize that so I just wanted to mention that as well um also if you wanted to give this book as a gift to a non-muslim then that would be great also so thank you all for listening um this book was, I felt like it was important for me to write and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that I'm not a scholar. This book was an endeavor of the heart and I only hope that inshallah ta'ala at least some small part, uh, some small portion of my goal is reached to increase our love for Aisha, to inspire us to learn more about her life, to increase our love for the Prophet sallallahu to be reminded of him, to be reminded of all the amazing companions and to aspire to live in their footsteps, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.